0: Great is Thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. morning, church. Today's message is called, He Came to Preach. Today we're going to be focusing on Jesus and His mission that focused so much on the importance of preaching. We're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark, So please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And today we're going to be examining verses 36 to 39. From this passage, we're going to see how preaching is a work of the whole Trinity. We're going to see how preaching is authorized by the Father. We're going to see how preaching is modeled by the Son. And we are going to see how preaching is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But before we get into the message... Please join me in prayer. Thank You, Heavenly Father, for this time that we are able to gather and to hear Your Word. We ask You, Heavenly Father, to be with us during this time, this time that there's so much hatred going on, so much darkness going on, but we know, Heavenly Father, that amongst this darkness, that Your Gospel message, will shine through in such a way. So we pray, Heavenly Father, that hearts will change during this time, that people will realize that they can't put their hope in anything but you. Heavenly Father, use us and give us the boldness to proclaim your gospel in such a manner that people will come to you. Use us, Heavenly Father, to do your will. Right now, as we're going to focus on this message, I ask you, Heavenly Father, to guide my tongue, guide my mouth, so that your truth is proclaimed. I ask you, Heavenly Father, to be with those who are listening, and open their hearts and their minds, and give them the understanding to know your truth. We thank you, we love you, we praise you, and we pray this in your precious Son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The story is told of a small English village that had a tiny chapel whose stone walls were covered by traditional ivy. Over an ark was originally inscribed the words, we preach Christ crucified. There had been a generation of godly men who did precisely that. They preached Christ crucified. But times changed. The ivy grew, and pretty soon it covered up the last word. The inscription now read, We preach Christ. Other men came, and they did preach Christ. Christ the example. Christ the humanitarian. Christ the ideal teacher. As the years passed, the ivy continued to grow until finally the inscription read, We preach. The generation that came along then did just that. They preached economics social gospel, book reviews, just about anything. Now, although this illustration here is most likely not a true story, it does show us man's philosophical detour on the effects of how the gospel is transmitted now. There is not a focus on Christ crucified. The message has been so watered down That's important for us to realize and for us to wake up. Preacher, if your message is a message that can be accepted in a mosque, if your message is a message that can be accepted in a synagogue, if your message can be accepted in a public school, if your message can be accepted by the masses, there is a problem because that is not the gospel message. The gospel message is convicting. The gospel message is radical and calls for radical change. And we need to go back to the basics. We need to go back to true gospel preaching. We need to preach Christ crucified. And today, from our text, we're going to see that. Mark 1, 36-39 reads, Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. Now, before we explore deep into this text, I want us to focus on the background. So I want us to actually look at verses 36 and 37 and really build up the scene here. The verb translated searched for usually means pursued with hostile intent. So this indicates that they were frantically looking for Jesus. In in other words, they pursued Him or they hunted for Jesus. Peter and the others, which many scholars believe is actually Andrew James and John only see the needs of the crowds and do not understand why Jesus went away to pray in fact there is a note of reproach when they say the statement everyone is looking for you what this is basically saying is Jesus what are you doing here when you should be in the midst of the multitudes who are clamoring for you. They didn't understand. You see, Jesus was not self-seeking. If he was, he would have stayed there and enjoyed his newly acquired fame. He would have accepted his new fans. Yet Jesus intentionally removed himself from the crowds and then went on to many towns to obey his father's call for him to preach the gospel. We also see additional context from Luke's account of this event, which we can find in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 to 43, which reads, When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him, and he came and tried to keep him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. The crowds wanted Jesus to continue to perform his miracles, his exercising of demons. They did not want him to leave because they loved his signs and wonders. But they weren't genuine. They weren't really interested in the gospel message. They were more interested in the theatrics. Jesus did not come to heal physically everyone. Jesus did not come to exercise every single demon during that time. In fact, if we go back to our text, we'll see what scholar James R. Edwards says regarding this. Seeking, the word seeking, connotes an attempt to determine and control, rather to submit and follow. In this respect, seeking for Jesus is not a virtue in the Gospel of Mark, nor are clamoring crowds a sign of success or aid to ministry. Here, as elsewhere in Mark, enthusiasm is not to be confused with faith. Indeed, it can oppose faith. See, the crowds were so excited, and they're so enthusiastic, but it wasn't for the right reasons. And we'll see this continual theme, and we see this in the modern church today. So many churches are packed full. Why though? Because they're going for an emotional experience. They dim the lights, they play the music. Many of them are trying to, you know, call together some type of spiritual feeling a spiritual experience, and they call that church. Yet you'll find there that the true gospel is not even preached. And we know that people who seek signs and wonders are not seeking the truth. But Jesus, Jesus had a greater mission than performing miracles. The greater mission that Jesus had was preaching. And this takes us Our very first point preaching is authorized by the Father. Verses 38 to 39 read, He said to them, Let us go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. So, what is preaching? We must look at the Greek preaching in Greek is cariso. It is often rendered to proclaim, to preach, and to announce. Additionally, this word carries the meaning of shouting out loud, reporting something of great importance, being a herald, and to make a proclamation. It also carries the meaning of raising the alarm and sounding a war cry. So you have to ask yourself, the preaching that you're listening to, can it be described in this manner? Preacher, if you're listening to this, is your preaching in this style? Because this is what Jesus came to do. And this is what He comes to show us what we need to do. This is the reason why Jesus came. He came to preach. John 8:42 reads Jesus said to them If God were your father you would love me for I proclaim forth for I proceeded forth and have come from God for I have not even come on my own initiative but he sent me John 18:37 reads Therefore Pilate said to him So you are a king Jesus answered You say correctly that I am a king for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And I see the importance that Jesus puts on the focus of listening to his message. How important that was. In the Old Testament, we see how God is the one who calls forth his preachers. A perfect example of that is looking at Isaiah. If we turn to Isaiah's book in chapter 6, Verses 1 through 11, or 1 through 10. It reads, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his rope filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, 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 is a Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who came out while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, Send me. He said, go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of the people insensitive. Their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. So we see here how God pursues his preachers and calls them forth. He calls them forth. And this is not something that's just in the Old Testament. We see it's in the New Testament. A perfect example of that is looking at Paul. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 7 through 9. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the works of his power. So just see right here how Paul attributes him being a minister To God's grace. We'll continue. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. You see here, Paul gets it. He knows that what he is preaching is the riches of Christ. How much of an insult is it when we go and we try to preach something other than Christ crucified? When we think our message will have more of an impact than the message found in Scripture. Shame on us when we do not focus on what it says in Scripture. And we continue. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. We also see uh, Paul mentioning in Romans 15, 15 to 16, But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So you see here, Paul had the right attitude. He knew that what he had to do was preach the gospel of God. And that has to be our singular focus. That has to be our focus. When we want to see the world change, it's not going to happen based on changing laws. It's not going to happen by cutting out a zone and saying we're going to govern ourselves. It's not going to work. It's not going to work when we're trying to uh, make peace by worldly means. No. We're going to have to go and declare the gospel. That's the only way hearts will change. Paul also clarifies that our preaching is not to please the masses. Again, if we go back to our illustration, we see what people have gradually been doing is that they have been preaching to the masses. Okay, they're trying to cater to them. They're trying to think, what can I do that will reach them? And how can I use my own mind to come up with creative means? Let me put on a show. Let me put on theatrics. But you don't need to do that. Actually, you're encouraged to preach the word of God. In its purest form we preach to please God not man first Thessalonians 2 4 reads but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak not as pleasing men but God who examines our hearts preacher know this God will examine your heart and examine the motivation for your preaching For those of you who are listening to the preacher, pay attention to their words. Are they preaching what's in the gospel? Or are they preaching their own version of the gospel? Are they excluding key components of the gospel? Someone like Joel Osteen who refuses to talk about sin, refuses to talk about the devil? Well, if you don't talk about those aspects, you you cannot proclaim the gospel. It is impossible. And that is the reason why Many people who are outside of faith, Muslims, Buddhists, and yada yada, will come to his church and enjoy his message because he's so motivational, at least to them. But he's not preaching the gospel. He's a glorified, you know, moral speaker, uh, glorified life coach. But what he's not is a preacher of the word of God. And he's only one of many, many, many examples of those who preach a false gospel, whose gospel is works-based, whose gospel holds no truth, just enough truth to make you think it's a truth, but it's a lie. We must preach Christ crucified. The gospel is a rich treasure that is entrusted to us, the preacher. So we must be faithful in handling it. We have been given a gift to preach. And when you're going out there and you're evangelizing and you're sharing the gospel with others, know that what you are presenting is treasure. And you don't have to dress it up in different ways. You don't have to exclude certain parts of it because you think it may be controversial. It's all there for a reason. You have to preach the whole counsel of God. First Timothy 1.11 reads, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Remember, it is an honor and a responsibility to handle God's word. So we must do our best to continually study the word of God so that we can handle it with care. Again, this is a great responsibility for a preacher. You see in Titus 1, 3, it reads, But at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. You see, Paul gets it. He understands the great responsibility that was entrusted to him. And that's why we need to handle the word in the same manner. And now this takes us to our second point. Preaching is modeled by the Son. Jesus modeled who we are to preach to. We are to preach to all people. And we are to preach peace. But It's key here to know. We are not here to preach peace amongst other men. No. That is impossible. In fact, Jesus himself says, Do not think that I've come here for peace. I've come here to divide. To put family member against family member. No. The peace that we preach is peace with God. That is true peace. Ephesians 2 17 reads and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near we preach to all jesus came to preach the gospel as the main aspect of his ministry matthew 11 verses 1 through 5 read when jesus had finished giving instruction to his 12 disciples he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities now when John while in prison heard of the works of Christ he sent word by his disciples and said to him are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else Jesus answered and said to him and answered and said to them go and report to John what you hear and see the blind receive sight the lame walk the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear the dead are raised up and here's the key part and the poor have the gospel preached to them. We are to preach the gospel to all. And this was a main component of Jesus' mission, to preach the gospel. Jesus gathered the twelve disciples so that they themselves could also preach the gospel. He modeled it for them. Mark 3, 14-15 it reads, And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that they could send, that, and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And the twelve were to preach to all so that they could find the lost sheep. Matthew 10, 5-7 reads, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. See, see here, this is happening because right now the first people who are to receive the gospel was the Jews. Remember, the Jew first and then the Gentile. So we're at this stage right now where the gospel is going out to the chosen people, to the Jews first. But rather, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, here, now that we've uh, preached the gospel to the Jews and now that we've preached the gospel to the Gentiles, we are now preaching the gospel to everyone. And we have to see here, the key component is that we are preaching, seeking out the lost sheep. We don't know who the lost sheep are, and that's why we preach the gospel to everyone. But God knows, and he's going to soften those hearts. And the lost sheep will come back because we know that we have a faithful shepherd who will go out there pursuing the lost sheep. And he uses us, which is such a humbling reality, that he uses us to share his truth. And now, this takes us to our final point. Preaching is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, this part is important because those who are not preaching the true gospel think that they can just rely on their mind and creativity to preach, but no. True, powerful preaching relies on leaning on God and depending on the Holy Spirit to guide Our power and source of preaching is found in the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 1 through three reads, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, given them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Proclaiming the gospel is something that can only be effectively done with power from on high. This is the power that is promised to all believers. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives in every single genuine believer. Luke 24, verses 46 to 49 reads, And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ who suffered and raised again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. You are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Here, Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is the great event of Pentecost that happened. And this is what we as believers depend on. The power of that raised Christ from the dead, lives in us. And it's what gives us the power to effectively communicate the gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit allows us to witness for Jesus throughout the whole entire world. And you want to know something? This was completely impossible without the Holy Spirit. You know how we can know that? Let us take a look at how effective Israel The chosen people of God. How effective they were. And remember, they were intended to be a nation of priesthood. Okay? How effective were they at evangelizing to the surrounding pagan nations? Because that's what they were supposed to do. They weren't successful very much. Okay? It takes the Holy Spirit for us to effectively go out there and preach the gospel. Okay? Remember... when we go through Acts and we see during Pentecost they were able to speak in tongues. Tongues, their means to speak other languages, known languages. Why? Why was that so important? Because we had to do that in order to share the gospel to the rest of the world. Okay? And when people witnessed that and they saw they're speaking my language, how can these fishermen or these other people who clearly they haven't been exposed to our language be able to speak it fluently? You see, this is, this, there was no Rosetta Stone okay, during the first century. Okay? For someone to learn another language, they would have had to spend excessive time there okay? and really speak with people and, and, and learn it over years and years and years. To have it instantly happen and be able to have all different types of people to be able to speak the language of all different people who were um, in Israel at the time, it was amazing. So we have to. Trust in the power of the Holy Spirit that will give us the words that we need to say. Words that are not based on our own wisdom, but instead based on Him and us leaning on Him. Acts 1 through 8 reads But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So I tell you, believers, and this is not a job just for the preacher. Preaching the gospel is not just for the preacher, okay? Those who know the gospel message are to go out there and to share it with others, okay? And that's why it's important to realize, are you reaching your Jerusalem, those who are closest around you, okay? Are you reaching those in Judea and Samaria, those who are not necessarily in your most inner circle, but those who you still have connections with, who are still close to you? And are you going to the remotest parts of the world to share the good news? We, as believers, have to do this. We have to share that gospel message. It's the responsibility of all believers to share the gospel. And it's also important that as we compare Israel and how ineffective they were without the Holy Spirit, let's take a look at Peter, okay, who was considered the leader of the disciples, how effective he was before and after Pentecost and see the transformation. Remember, he denied Christ. He made bold promises, but when everything came serious, he became a coward. He did not want to face death. But after Pentecost, we see a completely different man. We see in Acts 4, 8 through 12, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, see that? Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today, for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, that's pretty bold, he's calling him out, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. Here he is right now on trial. When people are just simply saying to him beforehand, don't you know him? weren't you one of his disciples? He was denying it, cursed them. No, I don't. I don't even know this man. And now he's on trial, and he's telling them, "You crucified him." He's bold with his declaration, completely transformed with the Holy Spirit. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which came became the chief cornerstone. He's sharing with them the gospel, sharing to them the reality that you rejected him. But now He has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other way. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And here's the key. Here's the beautiful part of the Holy Spirit. Peter's preaching, this bold preaching he had of the gospel, it filled those who were listening with the Holy Spirit. And this shows how great the spiritual ripple effect can take place when the Holy Spirit is leaned on. And we use the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives us. Acts 10, 44 reads, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Don't let anyone fool you on when you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit when you listen to the gospel message and you accept it. Okay, that's when God goes into your hard heart, your hard heart, your stone heart, and He does this miracle and softens your heart. And you accept the gospel message because it's being preached by someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit and you're listening to the life-changing words of the gospel. And then you yourself who is listening, who had your heart changed, receives now the Holy Spirit because you believe in Him. Paul also showed that his preaching was not based on clever words, not in his charisma, but instead on the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5 reads, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, you see here, true wisdom tells us that we lean on the Holy Spirit. We lean on the Word of God, and we preach that truth. We don't take away words. We don't add words. We don't try to get clever about it. We don't try to show off, show off our wisdom. No. We preach Christ crucified. And that's what Paul did. And notice this about Paul. Paul's education was equivalent to multiple PhDs. Trust me, if he wanted to, he could have persuaded you with very wise words. But that's not what Paul did. Because he did not want your conversion to be based on following him, on following his wisdom. No. He wanted you to follow God and to be transformed by the word of God. And he knew that no matter how clever he was, no matter how many ways that he could have been charismatic about it and persuasive and, no. he leaned on the power of the Holy Spirit when he preached. So now, as we have explored what preaching is, as we've seen it throughout this message and how it's powered by the Holy Spirit, how it's powered by the Trinity, authorized by the Father, modeled by the Son, and by the Holy Spirit, We need to ask ourselves, well, what does a preacher look like? Paul clarifies this in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now notice here he's talking about a male. Let us not be confused. The scriptures make it very clear. Those who are called to preach, they're going to be male. That is how... God determined it. We are not to fight with God on how He decided that. Each person has different roles. Man is not greater than woman, okay? And woman is not greater than man. However, we each have different responsibilities. And we'll see throughout Scripture, those responsibilities are given to each one of the genders, okay? But we cannot confuse it and say, well, I want to aspire to that, okay? I want, I want that job that wasn't given to me. Remember, that's what Eve did. Eve aspired something that she did not have okay that's the fall of Satan that's the fall of Adam they aspired to be something that they weren't very clear here who is an overseer which is another term for a preacher or the, um, a pastor a bishop all those words are used interchangeably an overseer then must be above reproach the husband of one wife again very clear he didn't just say you need to have one spouse or it could be vice versa a husband of one wife The word of God is clear. Let us not try to twist it for our own benefit. Temperament, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pungnius, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. All these things are key. Okay, you can't effectively be a preacher if you're a drunkard. You can't effectively be a preacher if you have love of money. Okay, because those things are going to change your preaching. Look at the prosperity gospel. Those people love money. And when they preach, they don't preach Christ crucified. They preach the dollar bill. Okay, you know, sow uh, a seed of $1,000 and receive a blessing. None of that is says in the scripture to do. Okay, but they're greedy. And that's why the prosperity gospel is a gospel of the antichrist. Will continue, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Again, here it's important that this man of God also has a family and can show that he effectively can run a family. This is very key for those who are going to effectively run a church. And if you see uh, those who have chosen to usually stay celibate or whatever, they usually have, they're called usually to do different things. They're usually in the mission field. You look up up Paul's life, he went from one place to one place to one place, and he chose um, to be celibate. Okay, but if if you're managing a church and you're going to stay with that congregation, you have to know what it's like to have a a family. And that's why it's important. These are the criteria that lays out for an, an elder or an overseer or pastor or preacher. It's important for us to know how to manage our own household affairs so we know how to manage those in the household of God. Okay? And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. It's also important that you can't be just young in the faith. You just became a recent believer and now you're now you're ready to be a preacher. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay, you have to be tested. You have to learn. Okay, you have to be able to serve at all different types of levels. And when that time is right, God will call you and you have to respond to His calling. It's not our will. No preacher should be preaching unless they know for 100% fact that they are called by God. And they start preaching and, and, and pastoring when God calls them to do that. You have to wait on God's timing. In addition, a preacher must, as we see in 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 5, a preacher must preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. How many preachers now are rebuking when they need to rebuke? You know, a lot of people will shy away from that. I think, oh, we're not supposed to judge or I don't want to do that. I don't want to cause division. But we're supposed to when it's appropriate. And a preacher must be able to be bold enough to do that. We must preach not our own message. We must see what it says here. Preach the word. That's what we need to be preaching. And it's not preaching at certain times. In season and out of season, you must be in the word all the time and ready to preach when you need to. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sounds like our time. But wanting to have their ears tickled. Well, if you could do this blessing and receive all this money and receive health and have healing... Sounds like it's very appealing, except those are all the things that Satan tempted Jesus with. Wake up, people. If you're listening to a prosperity gospel preacher, realize that what he's proclaiming Sunday in and Sunday out is the same message that Satan used to tempt Jesus. So wake up and listen to true gospel message. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance of their own desires. I've heard it before many times. Bill Johnson will go and try to uh, expound on the scripture and use the English, not even go to the Greek, and describe how God wants your desire. He's a liar. No, God wants us to have His desire. He transforms our desires into His desires. Okay, God is not some genie in a lamp. He doesn't just do our beck and call. That's not the relationship that we have. No, we surrender to Him and we seek to do His will, not our own will. We must realize what true gospel preaching is. And we need to wake up. And if we know somebody who's listening to that garbage, we need to share with them the true word of God. And we'll turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's exactly what they'll do. They'll turn to myths and not seek the truth. Let you be sober in all your things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We must be able to be sober and to realize what the truth is. We will endure hardships. When you proclaim God's word, you're going to be dealing with a lot of hardships. I saw on this Um, Area that they've cut out for themselves in Seattle, Chaz or whatever it's called, that they, they, there were preachers coming there to preach the word of God and they beat him. They were pushing him to the ground, choking him out, dragged his unconscious body out. They didn't, they could not endure gospel preaching. We have to realize that this is going to happen, but we cannot be afraid. We must realize that Jesus endured so much for us. We must not expect something different. He's our master. And he was perfect and sinless. We are flawed. We are sinful. We fall short. But we must lean on him. Endure persecution. Lean on him and preach the word of God. That's what we must do. Preaching can be done anywhere. But we are encouraged to publicly gather to hear the preacher expound and teach the scriptures as we have in church and in Bible studies, small group gatherings. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Those are the things you see here that Paul is talking about that what we must be paying attention to. Preaching the gospel is powerful, yet, it is complete foolishness to those who reject truth and refuse to surrender to Jesus due to the hardness that is in their hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 to 18 reads, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And here's something to note. The gospel is not just meant for those who are lost. Pay attention to what it says here. The gospel is meant for those who are believers. To be encouraged, to be equipped. We must be reminded of the gospel consistently. And the gospel goes out. And yes, it divides. Because those who reject truth, they hate it. And those who live on the word of God, they are empowered by it. So go out there and share the gospel. The gospel is to be eagerly preached by the man of God. Romans 1, verses 14 to 15 reads, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, from my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. We must have an eagerness to want to share the gospel message the preaching of the gospel also carries with it a great honor and a great responsibility we see this perfectly in romans 10 verses 14 to 7 to 17 how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed how will they believe in him whom they have not heard And how will they hear without a preacher? These are some major questions here. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet are those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. For many of those who often uh, misquote Francis of Assisi and says, uh, "When you preach the gospel, and use words if necessary." Um, that was is actually not him who says the quote, but regardless, that has nothing to do with the actual gospel message. Yes, you have to use. Actual words. You have to explain the gospel message. Your actions that you do is not going to just inspire somebody to to understand what the gospel is unless they know what the gospel is. Look at Christ. His greatest example of love, sacrificing himself, voluntarily dying for us on the cross, would have been pointless if he didn't actually share why he was doing it, if he didn't actually tell us the whole meaning behind it. We have to preach the gospel. We have to use words. We have to have people understand it so that they can then accept it. And that is what scripture says. So as we conclude our time together, I would like you to consider this. The story has been told of a young pastor who of great concern and sincerity ended his sermon like this. And now, my friends, if you do not believe these truths, There may be for you grave eschatological consequences. Afterward, a layman went to him and asked, Did you mean that they would be in danger of hell? Why, yes, the preacher said. Then why in the world didn't you say so, the layman asked. This is very important for us to realize. When preaching the gospel, we want to be as clear as we can be. And we don't want to shy away from any of the truths that must be proclaimed. We must preach the fall of man. We must preach the curse of sin. We must must preach the reality of hell for those who refuse to follow our Lord. We must preach our inability to save ourselves. We must preach our only hope in Jesus Christ. We must preach Christ's perfect obedience to the Father. We must preach Christ's willingness to lay down His life for His sheep while we were still Rebels, while we were still sinners. We must preach that to believe in Jesus is to surrender to Him, believing in both our minds and our hearts that He is our personal Lord and Savior. We must preach that those who put their trust in Jesus, they have eternal life. We must preach the good news. All the glory to God. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness.